a decentralized system would be um, uh, at least quicker to develop, uh, but they would still need the regulatory policies and, and standards involved. And so that would mean you need to get the regulatory agency on board. You need the ministry on board. And so once again, we kind of go back to, we need these different agencies to talk to each other and to come to a agreement. Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks, the podcast where we discuss global energy issues and trends with experts from around the world. I'm energy and climate journalist, Markham Hislop. In this episode, I'll be talking to two experts from the United States Energy Association about an electricity system planning project undertaken for Uganda. Sheila Hollis is the acting executive director and Elise Voris is the senior program coordinator who oversaw the work in Uganda. Welcome to Energy Talks. An honor to be with you, Malcolm. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Now, I'm interested in Uganda because it's a country that seems to illustrate the challenges and opportunities of expanding energy consumption while also integrating more renewable energy. So first, I want to provide for our listeners a bit of background about Uganda, which is a landlocked country of 43 million in East Central Africa. 26% of Ugandans have access to electricity. There's a rapidly growing demand for more electricity connections, so more demand on the grid. There's about 1,200 megawatts of generating capacity in, in 2019. Now, for um, comparison's sake, I live in British Columbia, in Canada, which is a population of 5 million, and it has 18,000 megawatts of generating capacity. So 1,200 compared to 18,000 and the big disparity in population. That'll just give you some example, uh, some idea of the scale here. So most power generation, about 80%, is by hydro. And apparently there was a, an agreement a couple of years ago with Russia for nuclear power development. So I'm going to turn this over to Sheila. If you could give us uh, an introduction to your organization, and maybe, uh, Elise, if you could provide a, an introduction to the study. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Markham. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, and we're very appreciative of the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, just a little bit of background on the United States Energy Association. We are a nonprofit, non-lobbying institution founded in 1924. Uh, we really have two basic missions uh, and I consider them of equal importance. First, we convene, educate, and serve as a resource to the American energy industry. And second, we work with USAID, the Department of Energy, and the State Department to better the lives of people uh, throughout the world by working to provide them with affordable, clean, and reliable energy access. Um, our Uganda project uh, typifies uh, that devotion to cause. Uh, we are uh, international in scope. We've worked in 104 countries all over the world. Uh, in partnership with these international funding agencies. Uh, our programs are instrumental in clean energy transition in their respective parts of the planet. Sheila, thank you very much. And Elise, if you can provide us with an overview of the Uganda project, please. Absolutely. Thank you, Sheila, uh, for, for that introduction. So this project began when the Uganda Electricity Generation Company Limited, or UEGCL, uh, came to the U.S. Uh, Agency for International Development and USEA for help to figure out how best to diversify their generation mix. Now, they did this because Uganda is heavily reliant upon hydropower. As you said, 80% of their electricity comes from large hydropower on the Nile River. 
So Uganda is the source of the Nile and they border the largest lake in, uh, in Africa, Lake Victoria. But over the past two decades, climate change has led to erratic weather patterns and causing severe droughts and severe floods. These hydrological fluctuations have shut down the hydropower plants numerous times and have caused nationwide blackouts. I mean, in fact, last year, there was a major flood that destroyed over uh, 25,000 homes. And I remember seeing a photo uh, in the news of a hotel I stayed at while there, completely flooded. Um, while on the flip side, droughts are lasting longer and becoming more frequent. So essentially, these hydropower resources have become vulnerable assets. And you know the saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, it holds true for the energy sector too. In order to achieve energy security and climate resilience, the energy stakeholders in Uganda, in particular UEDCL, must diversify into alternative energy resources. Right, now, Elise, uh, my understanding is that you're recommending another additional 300 megawatts of power, most of which will be renewable energy. And I'm curious because I hear over and over and over again how policy and regulatory frameworks are absolutely critical to the optimal uh, you know, adoption of renewables. So what sort of, what's this, the situation, uh, the policy situation in Uganda and what kind of recommendations did your, your organization make? Absolutely, so our report, uh, we procured the expertise of London Economics International and Grid Advisors to do this report and collect data from the, the key energy stakeholders. Uh, and this included the transmission company, the regulatory authority, the ministry, the investment authority, and the distribution companies, uh, besides just the generation company. And our report was very conservative. Um, so the current policy in Uganda is actually, they uh, have a national development plan with ambitious target of installing 42,000 megawatts to achieve universal energy access by 2040. 42,000 megawatts compared to their current, you know, 1,200 megawatts that they have on the ground. That's an insane amount. Um, and so really us saying, you know, well, you can install about 2,000 megawatts by 2040 is very conservative. And it's a little controversial um, with, with what the regulatory agency and the ministry have been you know, telling everyone. Um, and I understand why. Uh, the ministry has a goal of, you know, they have 25 million people without access to electricity in Uganda. And that is basically the same amount of people in Texas who were without power for four days during the extreme winter storm uh, a couple months ago. And so the policies and regulatory uh, processes that need to change include uh, developing an integrated resource plan, systemizing and standardizing their processes and load forecasts and targets so that everyone is working on the same page. Now, Elise, I'm really curious about this. Is the, the commitment to 42,000 megawatts of power? Now, again, using the example of British Columbia, uh, 32 hydro dams provide 18,000 megawatts of capacity. So that gives, you know, that uh, you'd have to two and a half times that to get to where Uganda wants to go, which is clearly a, a, a Herculean task. So 
is the are the goals set by the government? Is this politics? You know, where they they or is this an aspiration that they are very serious about about meeting uh, and need help to get there? I would say they are very serious in reaching that goal, but in working with the agencies, they are also realistic. And that is part of the reason why we did this energy mix diversification strategy in order to give them a feasible path forward. Um, and so the 2000 megawatts that we suggest are based on the resources that they have available in Uganda. This is solar, wind, geothermal. These are domestic resources that they do not need to import. Uh, I would say solar is probably the best resource they have because Uganda is on the equator. They have excellent solar irradiation. Um, and so our, our strategy was built on a short-term, medium-term and long-term strategy. And in the short-term, we said actually that uh, Uganda doesn't need to add additional generation right now. I know that sounds very contradictory since uh, there are so many people without electricity uh, right now. But the issue is, is that there's more generation, there's an oversupply of power that the transmission and distribution companies have not been able to catch up with. And so you have huge hydropower dams. You have, if you build more solar, if you build some wind, if you do some geothermal, but you don't have the transmission lines built yet, then that power becomes a stranded asset and it's a waste of money. Well, now I want to ask a question because we know that there's a, uh, in addition to the generating, generating technology, there's all sorts of other technologies like microgrids, for instance, uh, that may come into play here. And so uh, it seems like you've made a strategic decision to say, hang on, before more generation, you need to fix your, your transmission and distribution. That's, that's job number one. Then we'll get to worry about more, uh, more generation. Is there a, a, did you consider a parallel track where you said at the same time, perhaps we could build uh, local or regional generation with microgrids not connected to the, to the national grid and, and maybe accelerate uh, the provision of, you know, more of electricity to people who don't have it? Yes, so this study was particularly for the generation company. And so we really focused on on-grid solutions, but that does not mean that rural electrification is not happening at the same time. I can definitely confirm that there are many international partners and uh, the Rural Electrification Agency in Uganda is simultaneously working to build out mini grids and off-grid solutions that can be used as a precursor uh, to grid co connection. So when the transmission and distribu dis distribution companies finally reach those villages, uh, then the expansion can occur much more easily since they already have a mini grid system available. Yeah, that would seem, that would seem to be a, a sensible way to approach this. I've talked to other utility experts and, and they say that the way to imagine the, or one of the ways to imagine the modern electricity system, the way it's evolving, it's moving from a vertically integrated model to more of a horizontal web, a, a, like a platform that looks like a web, 
and you've all got all of these mini grids that are connected to each other that then allows you to move electricity. If, you know, uh, uh, one household can sell to another household. One, you know, everybody can be a, a buyer and a seller and, they, and, and energy services and all sorts of things. And so that's, that's the way, you know, the developed uh, economies like the United States and maybe Canada are, are moving. It, is it possible that a country like Uganda can sort of skip over a lot of the, you know, old style utility models that, that uh, are in place now and, and go to this new, you know, uh, distributed energy platform, web-like platform uh, that seems to be the future? Absolutely. Yes, they can. Um, and in part, the, uh, in 1999, Uganda actually unbundled their system. Um, and so that is, part, that is why we have a generation company uh, separate from the transmission and distribution. Um, and why there's also independent power producers who are uh, also developing solar at the same time. So while this study really focused on UEGCL's ability and uh, a conservative target that UEGCL can do, we did uh, recognize that everything is interconnected. Um, and so we couldn't just look at UEGCL. We had to look at what the regulatory agency was doing. We had to look at what the transmission company is doing. And that's part of the reason why one of our key recommendations was actually developing an integrated resource plan. Um, an IRP would help systemize and uh, standardize all the planning processes because one of the things we realized quickly on when we were interviewing and doing all the research, uh, the assumptions and targets of the data that was collected have been different from all these different agencies. They've been working off um, and not speaking to each other about what they're building, what they're doing. Um, and that needs to change in order to reach that 42,000 megawatt goal. Uh, the companies need to work together. There needs to be clear coordination between the agencies. And the best way to do that is actually working together to create an IRP. Now, one of the, I, I've done, a, you know, in a past life, I, I've been uh, done some development work uh, with uh, local indigenous communities in Canada. And one of the themes that comes up over and over again is capacity, uh, expertise, and do you have enough of it? And, and is how much of a problem is that in a developing country like uh, Uganda, where you simply don't have enough people with enough skills and experience to do the things that are needed? I'm so glad you asked that question because that is essentially what USCA does. We go to these countries and we help build their capacity, their human capacity, train their engineers, train their staff in the best practices around the world, not just Ameri uh, American best practices. And so it's been, I've been working with Uganda for about three years now, and it has been wonderful uh, teaching the engineers at UEGCL in, about information such as asset management um, and how to operate their hydropower dams in a mo more efficient manner uh, so that they have the re reliability even when there's a, a flood or a drought. Um, and so I have to say, yes, human capacity building, and that's part of the reason why we say in the short term, that is what we need to focus on. Uh, human capacity is key. 
So um, let's talk about who's going to pay for all of this. And this is not, uh, anytime you're talking about generating electricity at that scale, we're talking about a lot of money. Uh, do we have a budget? And do we know who's going to pay for these changes uh, in Uganda? So financing is always a tricky business, as you know. Um, and for this strategy in particular, we suggested that UEGCL focus on reaching out to multilateral banks um, and also the you know, government of Uganda's loans and grants, uh, but also the export credit agencies. You know, the United States has a development finance corporation that works to provide um, a capacity such as this, provide loans, provide grants in order for them to develop. And so do a couple other countries as well. Um, Norwegia, uh, Norway, Uganda, uh, Germany. There's many countries that have been working in uh, Africa to develop um, and provide financing. So there are opportunities, but I will not say it's gonna be an easy road. Now, one of the themes that comes up in my uh, uh, journalism all the time is the fact that we are on our way to electrifying most of the economy. So we're gonna electrify buildings, we're gonna electrify industry, we're gonna electrify, we're gonna clean up uh, power grids. Uh, and it seems like for a country like Uganda, uh, it, it comes along at, to this process or uh, to electrification associated with the energy transition at maybe a bit of a disadvantage, right? I mean, you can't even get electricity out to 25 million of its, of its consumers, never mind power electric cars and, and all of the, the other things that electrification requires. What, what, I guess what I'm getting at is in your work with Uganda, uh, did it come up as a topic of conversation or study uh, how Uganda will participate in the electric future, given where it is, where it sits right now with its uh, electricity system. So UEGCL in particular has a, has a goal of becoming a top utility in Africa. And they see the opportunity to become a exporter of electricity as well um, in the East African power pool. And so there is, I would have to say, there is a great opportunity for UEGCL and the other um, companies to reach electrification within Uganda. Sustainable development is possible. It just will take a lot of work and a lot of uh, <laughs> diversification. I mean, it's, it's trying to use new technologies, clean technologies, and um, opportunities that, you know, possibly the United States has not even implemented. You know, I'm, I'm speaking about developing solar PV with battery energy storage, um, and so that, you know, they can reach that electrification um, quicker. Um. Let's, uh, let's wrap up the, the interview, Elise, by talking about obstacles to, uh, to change. And uh, I see this as primarily uh, an issue of technology adoption. We've got hydro and, an, under, and an underdeveloped uh, uh, transmission system and distribution system. We have this flood of new electric technologies around solar and wind and batteries and electric vehicles and the rest of it. 
So they need to adopt technologies, skills, all of that. What are the top three obstacles to making this happen, to getting that technology adopted and, and functioning in the Uganda economy? So I would say one of the top issues is actually stakeholder engagement, making sure that all the agencies are working together in a cohesive manner. Um, if you have just UEGCL working in a little silo on their own, trying to develop as many megawatts as they possibly can, uh, it's not gonna work. Uh, you need the backing of the government, you need the backing of the regulatory agency, you need the backing of the transmission, distribution, everyone in the sector who has a stake in reaching energy security and energy access must play a role and must provide the information that they have. And so, uh, you know, I keep harping back onto the IRP, but that was a key, key uh, recommendation, um, especially since they already have a kind of ad hoc group called the System Planning Coordination Committee. And we saw that it would be easy to uh, transfer the work that the System Planning Coordination Committee is doing and basically add a couple more stakeholders and share a little bit more data and uh, develop that IRP, IRP and they'll reach more of their goals if they do that. That's one engagement. What's number two? So um, number two, I would say is uh, you, you mentioned at the very beginning that uh, they signed an agreement to, with Russia to develop nuclear. And also um, there's been talks of adding thermal power. Um, and we agree that, you know, to diversify, you know, include those as well. But you also have to take into consideration what can you afford? And to, if Uganda was to develop more thermal power or nuclear, they would need to import most of their fuel, which is not only expensive, but it also has geopolitical risks involved. And so when we were recommending options, we really tried to look at the full scope. And that means um, not only the best fuel, you know, the most efficient fuel, which, you know, would be actually nuclear or, you know, coal. Um, so that that is part of the issue is, you know, look at the fuel types that you have available, but go with what is most economical and efficient um, for the system. And, and as I understand, solar, wind, and batteries are most efficient for the system. And, and I, I, given the um, recent concern around energy security and energy geopolitics and the ability of renewables, you know, to be cited in, in, in the, uh, the country uh, at issue here, it's Uganda in this case, it would seem like they would do their utmost to not have to import coal or not have to import uranium or not have to import any other fuel uh, if they can possibly generate it at home. Is that, is that what, what I'm hearing here or is they, they have a different calculation? Uh, it really depends on which agency you're talking to. Um, the, the government of Uganda, the ministry of Uganda you know, they are the ones talking to uh, Russia for the nuclear. They're the ones talking to the different agencies that could possibly provide thermal power. 
Um, whereas some of the other, other agencies, the Rural Electrification Agency, um, the Generation Company, uh, the Transmission Company, they're focused more on what can we put on the ground now? Because as you know, thermal, coal, uh, nuclear, those take years to build, to site, to create the, the um, regula uh, regulations needed. Um, so it's much quicker if their goal is to reach more energy access, more energy security, it's much quicker to go with some of these other options. Now we've talked about two obstacles to achieving the goals in the study. What would be the third? Um, so the third obstacle I would say is, sorry. <laughs> um, basically getting everyone on board. Um, I would say getting everyone on board, getting the financing, um, that's probably the largest obstacle involved. So, so financing all of this uh, development is a major consideration. Uh, doesn't that then argue again for a more decentralized uh, power generation uh, because it, you know, to say set up a microgrid with solar and wind and batteries in a, in a village, a rural village uh, has got to be a lot cheaper than building a nuclear plant, uh, you know, with, with a huge capital cost. Absolutely, yes, I would agree with that. So a decentralized system would be um, uh, at least quicker to develop, uh, but they would still need the regulatory policies and, and standards involved. And so that would mean you need to get the regulatory agency on board. You need the ministry on board. And so once again, we kind of go back to, we need these different agencies to talk to each other and to come to a agreement. Is it, and this will be my last question, Lise. It, it seems to me that uh, we often take in, uh, say a developed country like North America or like Canada and the US, uh, that you know, institutions, policies, uh, regulatory regimes, we take them for granted. Uh, but when you're starting at a, you know, where Uganda is, developing all of those things is a major undertaking. It is, it very much is. And, but I have to say, I'm very proud of the people that I've been working with in Uganda because they are eager to implement these best practices. They're eager to have, uh, to improve their human capacity and have, uh, and they have the labor, they have the, you know, labor force available. They have the knowledge and they have the skills. Um, they just need to uh, build upon it. And so by working with USDA to strategize how best to diversify their energy mix and to train their employees in generation planning, they are on the path to self-reliance and sustainable growth. Well, terrific. Thank you very much, Sheila and Elisa. This has been very enlightening. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me today. And thank you.
Thank you, Markham. Uh, I hope I answered all your questions and, and be happy to answer more. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Markham. <laughs>